Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, the last passage in uh, chapter 7, we will be looking this morning at verses 28 and 29. This last week, um, many of you may have seen this, but uh, there was a, a debate, uh, a debate that went on. And it, and it wasn't a political debate. Um, boy, that's exciting. Um, but it was a debate on uh, evolution and the creation, six-day creation of the world. And um, it was by Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, and Ken Ham, uh, who uh, many of you have seen him. He, he's from Australia, and he kind of has one of those Amish-looking beard-type things. And, uh, uh, and uh, so Ken Ham uh, is... Uh, he he's one who institute for creation research. He's been talking about uh, literal six day uh, creation for a very long time, and he's from uh, Louisville. And then um, Bill Nye, who for many years has been uh, part of, he's been on television and other things talking about science. And um, I just, I'll just tell you this: so we don't have as part of our doctrinal statement at the church. Uh, a literal six-day creation, meaning that God created this whole uh, earth in uh, six 24-hour periods. We don't have that in our doctrinal statement, but that's what I believe, okay? And I, 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 I'm not um, saying that everyone has to believe that. Um, in fact, uh, I'm not a scientist, and it's too late for me, too, by the way. Uh, I could spend the rest of my days seeking to be a scientist, and it's not going to happen, okay? I'm 45 years old, and I've, that, that ship has sailed, okay? Um, I am a student of God's Word, though. And uh, as I read the Scriptures and I see what God has written down uh, for me, I, I just can't see it any other way. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but if you disagree with me, you could be wrong too. Um, and I choose to think that I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, I, I do this with everything, by the way. Uh, it's not just things of the uh, Scripture, but um, we, we can disagree. But um, let's all, at the end of the day, make sure that we are not fearful of looking foolish in the eyes of unbelievers uh, instead of trusting in God. Anyways, this morning, I, I, wanna, I, I wanted to encourage you to watch that. It might be interesting to you. For me, uh, it was interesting to some degree. Uh, but in other ways, I'd heard some of this stuff before, and it was just interesting. But the thing that I loved, and I, I just got so excited about it, because I think that it displayed something that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, really, they had a tough time having a debate, and there was a reason why. Because Bill Nye, he was the science guy, okay? Uh, and his basis for all that he wanted to talk about was science. He, his proof was pointing back to various things in science, and uh, you can argue about how well he did with that. It, it doesn't really matter. And then Ken Ham, uh, he talked a little bit about science and research and these other things, but at times he quoted the scripture. And uh, Bill Nye, uh, he said a number of different times, he said, uh, it was interesting. I, I think you'll enjoy it as well. He talked about being, um, me being a reasonable man, being a reasonable man. Uh, 
as you quote this book, this 3,000-year-old book that had been translated over and over again and now into American English. I, I can't, I can't, you know, he, he was frustrated that he couldn't believe in that. He, and your interpretation. And so they really had no basis for where they could have a debate because they didn't agree on anything, even at the beginning steps. And so this morning, as we look at God's word, I want to, um, I want to look at, uh, really, who we listen to? What what is it that's going to thrill our heart? What is it that we're going to base uh, our arguments of life on? What, what, who are we going to listen to in this world? If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you these two verses, the last two verses in chapter seven of the book of Matthew. This is what God's word says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Please pray with me. God, I I ask that you would, in these moments that we spend together, that you would mark our hearts with your word, that we would be thrilled to hear from you and that we would be willing to move based upon what we hear from you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has just preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He has taught them about various subjects, and he's done it in a way where he, uh, some might say he attacked everything they loved, and he went after it, and he explained to them where it was wrong and where they misunderstood, and he added teaching uh, that they had never heard before. And uh, this morning... This is their response. This is their response. We hear this one-sided conversation of Jesus inputting to them. And we really hear, heard nothing or very little on what, as they sat there and they listened, what their thoughts were on what Jesus had said. But now we know. Uh, verse 28 says that they were astonished. They were astonished astonished. As you think about it, this picture is, if you can see it in terms of what we're doing here this morning, Jesus says the final amen. And they sit there or they stand there and it blew their minds. It blew their minds. They, they, they were in awe. They were in awe. They sat there, stood there and they go, what have we just heard? This is amazing. The language, uh, the tenses and the, the Greek grammar uh, point to that it not just be something that for a moment, wow, that was amazing. And, you know, what's for lunch? You know, that that's sometimes how we respond to life. It's amazing to us at a moment, but on to the next thing. But it, it's this picture that it, it marked them. It was astonishing in such a way that it lingered on in them. And it was changing, life-changing. That they, as they heard from Jesus, they realized that this was so different that it was going to change their life. It blew their minds. And the picture here is that them of being drawn in. I, I think there's plenty of things that we uh, are amazed about, but it pushes us away. But for them, it caused them to want more. It caused them to want more. And I just want to add one other thing. And this may sound arrogant, and it might be. 
Um, I want to sound just like this. I want to preach just like this. I, I want there to. I, I want to preach like Jesus did, in such a way where at the end of the day, you are in awe, life-changing awe. And we'll get back to how that can be true, um, that I can be a preacher just like Jesus. Um, you're going to say, no, that would be uh, amazing if that could happen. That would be a trick. There's one thing we know, and it's, it's really the only thing that we know about uh, his preaching that was different. It says this at the end of verse 29. That uh, well, twenty nine says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes, not as their scribes, meaning that the the messages that they were used to hearing, the teaching that they were used to sitting under, was very different. Was in stark contrast to what they were hearing from Jesus. And you got to ask the question: Well, what were they hearing from these scribes? What was it like? And I have some things I'd like to share with you about that. The scribes, first of all, one of the things that they did is added to the Scripture. They added to the Scripture. When they would quote the Old Testament, many times they would quote it in passing. And then that they would continue to quote other teachers of the past. And they would connect it and and build a case. They would teach like a lawyer did, but not in such a way where it was all truth, but just simply... To add to the scriptures. And Jesus uh, was in stark contrast to this. The other things the scribes did was they often spoke of trivial matters. Uh, They loved a good argument about what God thought of some topic that would never touch the lives of the people. As you reflect on the last uh, uh, three chapters that we've looked at where Jesus has shared... Uh, these are all things that would revolutionize our lives, our lives. You, you think about the, well, what am I struggling with? And did Jesus talk about it? Um, let, let me ask you a question. Did any of you worry this last week? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a majority right there. That's the kind of stuff Jesus was talking about, about worry. Uh, finances. Boom, we're up again. You know, we're thinking about finances. Jesus was talking about those things. He was talking about relationships. He was talking about how, how it is to live in this world. And, and this is what Jesus concerned himself with. The scribes, they wanted to talk about things that didn't matter. In fact, they also talked about lists and really the idea of goodness that can be found in man that somehow if we tried harder, we could be good in and of ourselves. This is how the scribes taught. And and they were going, this is different. Jesus is different. As he shared with them, this is something markedly different than they had heard over and over and over again from the scribes. Third thing I want to tell you about the scribes, they were boring. They were boring. Uh, This morning, I, I don't want to ask you if you've ever heard a boring message in church. Because it puts me in an awkward situation. Some of you have been going here a long time, and that, that would include me. And I could get all insecure and all that other stuff. Um, the greatest teachers, are they in college or are they in nursery school? It's a simple answer. Nursery school, the best. 
you know, they're excited, they're singing, they're getting on the floor, they're they're letting you play, they're 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 interacting. College. It, it's like it's like they're saying, "Come to me, I have the information. I, I've got it all. You you must access my greatness." In nursery school, they're going, "Yeah, you were." were Jesus, you think about how he taught. How did he teach about worry? He said he, he pointed them to the flowers outside. He pointed them to the birds of the air. He gave them pictures and ideas of things that they could relate to. And they were riveted. They were riveted. They, they, they loved it. They, they took it in. It drew them in. And at the end of their time, they went, whoa, this blows my mind. You know what? Uh, in college, there there were times where it blew my mind to be in college, but I go, whoa! Can't believe how long that seemed. Whoa, that was so boring. That was even more boring than usual. You know, you, you get this picture that Jesus was different. He was different. As the scribes taught, they they uh, they shared in ways that they were only concerned uh, with what they said not whether their hearers were uh, interested or learning. And that connects me to the next point. The scribes, and we see this in their pride in different passages throughout the New Testament and in the book of Matthew even, as we're going to go on, that the scribes, as they taught, they loved themselves. They loved themselves, not their hearers. Not their hearers. As Jesus shared, uh, that there was this sense, and we'll get this continuing on, that he had compassion. He loved his hearers. The scribes loved their position. They loved themselves. They loved the opportunity of them being the focal point, them being the authority. And lastly, I want to tell you that the method of their teaching was one of quoting of quoting. It's, it was as a lawyer would do in a case that they would cite different authorities. Sometimes they would refer to the Old Testament. Sometimes they would re- refer to an Old Testament interpretation that some famous teacher had. Sometimes they would quote some extra biblical writing and that they would list out and that they would present this case. So at the end of the day, based on these 10 things, if you will, you should listen to what I have to say. This was the scribe's method. They were quoting and giving authority based upon people and times and places. And they weren't astonished because he was just like the scribes. They were astonished because of, he was so different. If you think about it and you reread um, the previous chapters, you'll see this one... Uh, thing that Jesus says over and over again. He says, but I say, but I say. Think about that. As Jesus was teaching and as they were, uh, if you had been one that had been connected with uh, the Jewish thought and you'd grown up listening to the scribes and them teaching in this sort of way where they're gathering all this facts and figures and, and quotes from the past and blending it all together and making their case. And then Jesus just simply says, but I say, but I say. 
which brings us to the uh, one of the great themes of the book of Matthew, and that's of authority. Turn over to Matthew chapter 9, and I want to show you, uh, we'll just march through have three passages here in Matthew, but there's really six or seven that even use the word, and then even more than that, that display this idea. But in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 6, I want you to hear this word. Um, we'll start at verse 4, but key on, on verse 6. He says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? And then listen to this, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus does a miracle and what he is doing as he does this miracle is he is showing this group of people. He is asserting once again, I am the authority. I'm the one. I am the one who has all authority. And he points it out. He says it to show you that have all authority. Here it is. Boom. Rise up. Walk. Your sins are forgiven. We move on. You could look uh, over to Matthew chapter 21. Flipping over a, a little bit later in the book. And then uh, later we'll get to Matthew chapter 28. But 21 verse 23 And this is an issue of teaching. And this comes up over and over again. And I want you to to get the picture that everyone who heard Jesus knew this was the issue, even if they didn't believe him. Even if they weren't buying his message, even if they weren't choosing to be a follower, they understood that this was the rub when it came to this man, Jesus. Verse 23 says, And when he entered the temple... The chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, I will tell you, uh, tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where, uh, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, uh, If we say uh, from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They were struck by his authority. They were frustrated by it. They, they were going, why should we listen? And then in uh, chapter 28, as we see the conclusion of Jesus' earthly life, starting at verse 17, we, we see that we know this passage to be the Great Commission, but I want you to see his authority. Uh, verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, uh, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. 
with you always. I want you to see this because it's super important as we think of who Jesus was. So they were amazed when they heard Jesus preaching, sharing, uh, giving up his teaching because it was different. And the thing that they could pick out and the thing that he's he's teaching with authority. He's saying uh, he's saying, but I say he's not sorting uh, citing some source. And that's because Jesus always did this. He always was the authority. When he rolled in to teach into a, a place or a town or a home, he spoke based upon his own authority, not an authority outside of himself. And so this is the question that comes up over and over again for us. When we hear something and, and, and somebody calls to us, we say, well, you have to do this. And we say, says who? Says who? I, I remember saying this in the neighborhood and to my, my sibling and my cousins. Uh, you need to come in now. Says who? Says who? I'm not, I'm not doing that. You tell me why I should listen to you. Says who? Uh Many of you went to college and uh, you wrote a lot of boring papers. Uh, I'm not saying that it's the teacher's fault that you were writing boring papers. I'm saying that your product was boring, okay? Um, And as you learn to write research papers, uh, you get to that place, you know, middle school or high school where you're, you're writing these papers and you say something that you know to be true and the teacher marks it because you didn't footnote it. You didn't footnote it. You know what that is? It's the little number, right? You know, you say something, you put a little number, and then down below, you cite your source. You cite your source. This is true. This is true. This person said it was true. This is where I found it. Which always gets a little complicated. You know why? Because... You're saying that this is true based upon this guy saying it's true. How do you know this guy knows it's true? And that's the question, right? Footnoting. This is what the scribes did. They they shared their message and they footnoted it. They connected it to someone. As you think about what their teaching was, it says who? What's well, the guy down in the footnote? This is the proof. One of the things that I found interesting about this debate I watched was that um, that uh, Bill Nye, he would go back to science proofs. He'd go back to science. It kind of reminded me um, of, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Nacho Libre. I'm not suggesting it or anything, but there's a character in there that believes in science too. But um, it, it, he connects it and he says, I... Because science shows this, this is what I know to be true. Uh, in this debate, Ken Ham uh, was doing this, and it was kind of interesting. He was uh, sharing, they were, they were name-dropping. They were name-dropping, and they were saying all these names, which didn't help me a whole lot, because I didn't know who they were talking about, okay? Uh, but he would make a point, a Ph.D., a Ph.D., when somebody says, and he has or she has a PhD, what are they saying? It's real simple. It's offensive. 
they're smarter than you are. Okay? I cited, I, somebody smarter than you uh, believes this. And the question goes back, are they really smarter than I am? I don't know. They might be, they might not be. They might be in some areas, but not other areas. Says who? Why should I listen to this? Why should I believe this? It's interesting. Some like to quote people that are dead and gone, that were were in the past. And so somehow when you're dead and gone, there's some, some kind of authority that's based on this. This is what the scribes did. They pointed to the past and they said, you should believe the message. You should follow because so-and-so says so, that he's been in the past and he's dead and everyone thinks he's really smart. Others of us cite documents cite documents. We, we hold certain documents to be authoritative. The Constitution. We, we cite certain sections and they had different uh, writings that they would cite. Or maybe it's just somebody that we find to be interesting. Bill Nye says this. Ken Ham says this. We do this with preachers today. Uh, John Piper said this and everyone goes, oh, it must be true. You know, there's a quote. Martin Luther said this. We connect it to a name. Says who? And now as we turn to Jesus, we need to ask the question, if Jesus were here, if we could question him after the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we say, you know, we understood all that you've said. We understand what you've called us to. Why should we do it? Says who? And Jesus' answer would be a simple answer. The king. The king. As you look at the book of Matthew, you see that he brings out the issue that Jesus is the king. And a king doesn't cite his source. Do you know that? He doesn't line up the logic behind why he is commanding his subjects to to move. He simply bases it on his own authority. And any king on the face of this earth has a problem. There are other kings. And his uh, call to his subjects is only as powerful as he is as king. And this morning, what I want to point out to you is that Jesus' authority was the authority of the king. He was saying, but I say to you, and he was pointing to himself. He, he was not saying, uh, uh, I have this other source. He's saying, I am the source. I am the one. And this was something that stood out to the hearers that heard the message of Jesus. I want to this morning just give you a couple of takeaways from this message. I realize it's only a couple of verses. But I want to ask you a question that uh, this message kind of drives towards. And the question is this, is he your king? Is he your king? When I ask that question, I, I realize there are different kings on the face of this earth. I realize that we have different thinkings on this, that we make decisions based on other things. But the question is, as Jesus commands and brings forth his teaching, do you go, that's my king? 
That's the one I listen to. That's the one who has the right answers. I want to tell you, um, when we share that position, when we share that position with popular opinion, we say, well, yeah, I listen to Jesus when everything kind of lines up and everyone else is kind of listening to Jesus. I'm in too. Or if it agrees with my picture uh, of my observation in science, that that's when I'm going to agree with what Jesus says. I want to tell you, if that's the way we're looking at it, he's not your king. He's not your king. You've got some other king. You're sharing that place with somebody else. He's not your king. Um, For others of us, maybe we confidently say, we confidently say, yes, he is my king. If he is our king, then we listen. We listen. We hear his word. We we get excited about the directives. We we want to serve our king. I know that uh, there might even be some here this morning who are going, well, uh, he might be your king, but he's not my king. Okay? And I, I, I want to point out a suf- subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. And I want to say it clearly for you, okay? He is the king. He is the king, whether we believe it or not. Whether we believe it or not. There are many, many, many who will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the king. There are many. But I want to tell you, that does not change who he is and was. Jesus came to this earth as the one savior, the one savior, the the God in the flesh. He came to this earth and gave himself up in death that he would save sinners to be the savior. But not just the savior, but that he came to be the king. And and we may not want to acknowledge that. We may not want to believe that. But I want to tell you, it's still true nonetheless. He is the king. Question is, is he your king? The second thing I want to give you as a takeaway this morning is I want to tell you, and this is connecting to what I shared with you earlier. um, I speak with the same authority, by the same authority as Jesus did. Okay? And you say, wow, that's, that's super, that's a wild claim. It is a wild claim. Okay? I know that. But God forbid the day where I would preach a message or anybody else for this matter here at this church that we would say, I give you the five suggestions of Jesus. Jesus did not come sharing a message of suggestions and opinions and gather together his list of reasons to believe and got all his experts lined up and gathered all the data and did all the research and got the percentages and the popular opinion and then say, this is why you need to listen to me. The authority that I have to preach uh, any message is derived from Jesus. It's from him. And as I go back to what Jesus has said, as the word of God speaks, I share with you the same authority that Jesus did. Not of my own thoughts, but from him. 
And so I realize that it's unpalatable sometimes. I realize that it's uncomfortable. But as we gather as his church here, we go back to Jesus. And I want to make a distinction here this morning. There is no authority in this church. None. Not because we have a name out there. Not because I'm a pastor or we have other pastors or an elder board. There's no authority here other than that which comes from Jesus. Super important for us to understand. I realize we're not a part of a denomination or a a nationwide movement. And it's helpful for us to understand this. As we come together, we realize this is all we have. But I want you to know that I know that there's a life-changing message, but it does not come from man. It comes from Jesus. Is he your king? Is he your king? And are we seeing this as the message that comes from your king? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, I ask that you would do your work uh, in our hearts now. Lord, I know that um, we lack, uh, when we come to your word, when we hear the words of your son, Uh, Sometimes we lack the awe that it deserves. God, I pray that we would be like those original hearers of Jesus' message and we would realize the implications that the King has spoken and that we as his subjects should move. God, I ask that you do your work in us now. Uh, May it have lasting impact on us as we live for you this week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.